0: well hi everybody welcome back to another episode of the reaching the summit podcast the good news is we have actual basketball games to talk about the bad news is i'm not sure we know a whole lot more than we did a week ago uh but with me today is zach dosh and greg steeman any initial uh impressions of the first week gentlemen
1: There's a lot more question marks out there than I think really have ever been before. I mean, you could even say that about their uh, opponents as well. There's just a lot of teams that have a lot of figuring out to do. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's what the non-conference schedule is for, but there's a lot of teams that have to answer a lot of questions that quite frankly, they haven't had to in in quite some time. And um, so it's going to be fun to see if they can do that.
2: Yeah, I think it's a good observation. And we kind of joked before we, um you know came on the air that I, I don't know that we know a lot more about the league than we did earlier. Um St. Thomas maybe maybe the most impressive team to this point as far as
0: yeah.
2: playing a, a top ten team in the country in Creighton very well. And then uh getting some quality, you know, home wins against against other mid-major, low major division ones, and doing it in a in a convincing manner. Um I think UND was the one that, that took the wrath of Creighton having to play them two nights <laughs> after St. Thomas, but uh, it's it, there's so many unknowns at this point. But I, I guess a few things. Oral Roberts has shown that they're okay. I mean, they beat a lower division opponent handily and didn't and didn't embarrass themselves at St. Mary's. South Dakota State, with the overtime loss at Akron and then winning at Boise, I think has shown that you know they're they're going to be uh, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with, but not a lot outside of that, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, I think South Dakota, South Dakota State, St. Thomas,
2: and those three really probably feel
1: pretty good about where they're at right now. Um, Oral Roberts just don't know, right? They got down pretty quick at St. Mary's, and now they have to go play uh, uh, the number three team in the nation in Houston um, with a, a lower level team in the middle of that and so I, I don't know i don't really know if they know how they're feeling yet um but and then everybody else is just kind of big question marks you know maybe denver you know that they, they did knock off idaho at home but outside of that there's a lot of question marks not necessarily bad question marks it's just the nature of college basketball right now but you know stuff that we're gonna have to follow a little closely
0: so you guys mentioned a lot of question marks can i bring up something that i think we we maybe got an answer to
1: yes a, aj plitzel might be uh might be just fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, like like you can tell he's not quite um and he was probably a better athlete than maybe we give him uh credit for at some time. But I mean you could tell it's not quite it's not quite there. Um which is a scary uh aspect or, or a scary prospect for the rest of the conference because I mean obviously that comeback game against Lipscomb, uh, I think they were like Ken Palm 178 was, it was a big deal for him to to reach yeah. down and find a 33 point performance and knock down all the free throws and still feel pretty good. Um, it seems to be, his knees seems to be responding good from game to game. You're absolutely right. I, I think he is probably, I, I, my guess is he's probably 80 to 90% back, which is, you know, better than most players in the league. Um, question I have there is how can that backcourt, all make each other better and it not be okay it's your turn to go now it's my turn to go now it's your turn to go you know what i mean like how yeah. do they all play together so they can get to a point where they're like maybe between 15 to 25 points per game all three of those guys then i think they're going to be really difficult to guard now i think they're just kind of playing and trying to figure it out and try to get a feel for it which is totally too, you know it's to be expected and it's normal but um you know for aj to to have that sort of turn back the clock performance it looked a lot like uh 2 years ago Two and a half years ago? Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. And and to have 33 points on 11 shot attempts, you, know, you need to think about that. The efficiency was incredible. But I'm also going to go back to one of the things that Todd brought up on one of our previous podcasts, his concern about the depths of the bigs. Obviously, Tassos Comateros, we know what he brings. Damani Hayes is going to be who he is. I think it, a lot of it comes down to how much can they develop some of their length and size um, throughout the course of this non-conference season. Because I think Eric Peterson knows as well as anybody, you have got to have a little depth in the post, and I think that's uh, that's something that USD certainly has to develop. But uh, AJ, you know that that was a kind of a performance where you go, was it an anomaly or was it what he's capable of? And I would I would guess, I sorry for speaking for both of you. I think we all three think this kid's really good and it's uh, it's good to have him back in the league. The summer league's better for him back at at close to full strength. Yeah. yeah
1: the, the question I have is, you know, do they not have do they not have front court depth or have they not needed it yet? I'm kind of leaning more towards they haven't needed it yet. I mean, we'll see like, you know, maybe when they play NDSU or something like that, we'll see some of those guys get a little bit more run. But, you know, they they seem to kind of like what they have going on now. Just kind of an interesting deal. Uh, I just looked it up. So Mason Archambault is only averaging 4.7 points per game, which is obviously way under where he was last year and way, way under where he, he was projected to be coming into this year. Um, again, not necessarily a bad thing, but you don't you want the 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 sum to be greater than the parts, right? That's I think the goal. If that happens, then they become extremely hard to guard. Extremely hard to guard. Um, but it might not. So we'll see. That's definitely the number one thing that I'm watching when I'm uh or what I'm looking for when I'm watching South Dakota.
0: Well and then they may not have needed, you know, I'm not sure of I did watch the game, but lipscombs and make up as far as bigs, but there are bigs in the summit league, even though it's a guard oriented league. And I don't think Mihai Carcoana or um that Brostrom, the freshman, have had more than eight, nine minutes in the game. So I don't know. It may just be a scheme thing or a way that they're gonna play. But like you said, when you go up against some of the bigger teams in the Summit, it'll be interesting to watch how that plays out.
2: It will, but but I will say, and to your point, Zach, you talked about Mason Archambault. If there's one of the four perimeters that's going to be okay being that guy, I, I do think it's Archambault. And the reason I say that is when he came into the league, we all thought, all right, he's a great three-point shooter. I give the young man a ton of credit because he's become an exceptional off-the-ball defender. His athleticism is at a much higher level than people anticipated. He can impact the game in other ways besides scoring. And at the same time, he's one of those guys who can go out there and knock down six threes in one night. And so I I, I, I get the impression that he's saying, whatever it takes, I'll do. And, uh, and I think he'll be an impact player in other ways than just scoring for USD.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially knowing AJ's situation with his knee, no question Mason's going to be taking the hardest backcourt matchup every single game, which is incredibly impactful. It it frees up AJ to use more of his energy on the offensive end. It's only going to be a part of the equation. Just looking at points per game is probably a a foolhardy way of uh, evaluating the situation. So I didn't mean to necessarily insinuate that, but you're right. I mean, it's how they all sort of settle into their roles in, in terms of what works best together. is just going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah, it
0: will be. I I wanted to move to the other South Dakota team, South Dakota State. So channeling back to 2019, Matt Dentlinger with the game winner from Alex Arians. It uh, looks like those two are going to have a pretty big impact on this team as they're as they're developing roles.
2: I agree, Todd. I I <clears throat> Dentlinger and Arians, and I, I I shot a tweet out the other night when I started thinking about it, and Brian Powell who is uh, the best uh, league communications director in, in the country, I kind of reached out to him. I said, hey, you know, are Arians and, and Dentlinger potentially the winningest players in the league? And, and my tweet initially was about Arians, and the, I followed up with a tweet that said, I, I'm sorry if I, if I discounted what Dentlinger is. They have a chance to win uh, well over 100 games as players yeah. in the Summit League. And it was so funny because at, at the same time it was happening, Arians kind of feeds Dentlinger on that back cut with the reverse layup and they knock off Boise at Boise, um, they're going to be okay. Will they be as dynamic? I mean, let's be honest. You, you take a Shireman and Douglas Wilson out of the lineup, you lose some of your wow factor. But at the same time, uh, SDSU could care less about wow, wow factor if it translates yeah. into wins. And, uh, and it's also the other nice thing to see is the, the Kyle kid. Uh, boy, yeah. he looks—he looks like he fits on the floor with his SDSU team, and and can be a presence on both ends of the floor without having to be relied on. And we've all talked about this, Zeke Mayo. I think he—we're seeing him take another step forward as an impactful player. So I think SDSU's in, in good hands. And if and if uh, Apple can come back uh, close to full strength in, in less than a month or around a month or so. Their uh, SDSU is just going to be saying, Hey, don't forget about us.
1: Yeah. I feel like we always kind of grade them on a curve, right? I mean, you know, some of the things that we talk about and that are critical of South Dakota state, like teams would love to have that be sort of their only issues that they're sort of working yeah. on. You know what I mean?
2: They're yeah. really
1: kind of operating at the 400 level where some of these other teams are operating at the one or 200 level. So um, I, I've been super impressed with their defense. I think it's just really, really solid. I think you're going to have to work to score consistently on them. I, that's one thing that really stood out to me. It was probably a little overshadowed last year by their hyper offensive efficiency, but man, they're just, they're really good defensively. And yeah, I mean, you forget about how good Matt Dellinger is on the block, you know, uh, both him and Andrew Morgan are just, you know, if you guard him one-on-one, he's going to score. Uh, yeah. you, you just cannot leave him one-on-one in the post. He's way too skilled. And um, the one thing that did kind of stand out to me though, and I, I really think, Uh, you know, South Dakota State's first two games is just a coach's dream, right? Mm -hmm. Good teams, competitive teams. You're learning about your team, you know, one win, one loss. And so you get to see kind of the fine line between it and you get to learn a lot. And it's just, I I think their start has really been fantastic. Uh, The one thing I saw at, at Akron that really kind of stood out to me is, you know, I I believe it was like the second to last possession, you know, Detlinger on Mayo ball screen, Mayo splits. It goes in for the layup. Great look, right? Great look they come back down to win the game and don't go right back to it. You know what I mean? And maybe that's a case of not having a true point guard out there. Maybe it's, you know, that's just the way it played out. Maybe it's nothing, but I thought that was interesting that they really found something that worked well, that Akron had a tough time guarding. And then they didn't go to it again in the most important possession. That's when Arian sort of backed his way in the post threw the ball away. And then Akron, Akron picked it off and then missed the wide open layup and they went in overtime. But uh, that was one thing that I was looking at. I was like, okay, is that something like is, is being just a, a tad, uh, unfocused or disorganized? Is that, is that sort of a thing? And then they come right back, uh, against Boise and sort of, are sort of in the same situation again. So, you know, they have to be loving this as a coaching staff and they get the job done, uh, on the road against their, uh, their Ken Palm ratings in the 80s, Boise's Ken Palm ratings in the 80s, but their net ranking is actually in the thirties. It's a quad one win. Yeah, it's a quad. Like, I mean, the best teams in college basketball usually only get a handful of quad one wins. And so um, just tremendous growth from game to game. And for them to get a game like that under their belt, um, it's by far the most impressive win so far this year in the conference.
2: Yeah. And and the great thing for fans to keep in mind, Tuesday, the 15th, uh, South Dakota State's hosting St. Bonaventure at the Pentagon. And that's going to be another high-quality game. And so we're going to see where South Dakota State's at. You talked about it, Zach, two road efforts. Um, They split them. Um, And so as much as I said maybe St. Thomas has had as good a start as anybody, let's not discount the fact that South Dakota State has has just said, hey, people, don't forget about us.
0: Well, and this is about the time of year where I go on my scheduling rant. I can't say that about South Dakota State. I know I know you're gonna to have to play some teams. You're gonna to have to play Arkansas and Alabama to to get some get some money in for the program. Like I know you have to do those things, but they have you talked about St. Bonaventure, Stephen F. Austin, that's a, a similar high level mid major program, James Madison, Kent State, Montana, Eastern Washington. Like that I just wish there was more of the summit league that had these matchups that that meant something when it, yeah. when it comes to scheduling and, and they do play Mount Marty and Belle, Bellevue at the end of the non-conference schedule. Um, I, you know, I guess that is what it is, but at least it's at the end. Like, I, I don't know. It, we get the excitement of basketball starting and I just wish there was more of that scheduling opponents that gave you a better idea of where things were at and, and helped the conference as a whole. And, and these wins on the road against a team like Boise state, it, they, they help, everybody and 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 it's it's not you know creighton who you're who you're just not going to have a shot to win against i so and i get you have to have a couple of those but but all these mid-major programs have the same problem and i don't know why they're not working together to to make it work
2: i do think josh fenton is making an effort though with with the coaches like we talked about he's he's visited with the coaches he's talked to i think it was coach wilburn that talked that told us that He's been in contact with all the coaches and saying, listen, here's how we become a multi-bid league, and and here's the the manner in which we schedule. And and I put out a meaningless poll asking fans what they thought, not coaches, um, but fans. And it was funny, you know, would you rather have your team play a lower division opponent at home or be on the road against a similar level opponent? It was 90% to 10%. The fans said, just go play good people just go yeah. play good people and 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 in return maybe they get some of those games the following year uh, against uh, against similar level competition
1: right it, it's just so hard because different teams need different things right i mean it's kind of the elephant in the room but clearly there there's some different budgets in the league right yeah i mean i'll you know can you afford to bring schools into your gym do you have to go out and play a couple more pay games to to bridge the gap in your budget like There are some of those factors at play here. Um, And it's also how you feel about your squad. You know, I think if I'm South Dakota State, I want to play a schedule like they're playing right now. I want to play a bunch of like Ken Palm, like right around the 100, 100 marking Ken Palm. Like good, tough games that give you a great look, sort of a reflection of where you think you're at. And you want to beat good teams. However, there are programs in the conference that need to just fundamentally experience what it's like to win and just sort of get a little momentum going. You can't just be beat down all the time. And so that's where some of these lower level games come into play. You know, you need to kind of work out some of these kinks before you play. They're starting from a lower level than some of these other teams. And so that comes into play. Uh, What's really interesting is, you know, a program like Kansas city, um you know all new players uh, mostly freshmen and playing just a brutal schedule right off the bat here i mean they're jumping yeah, right. straight in the deep end i mean i hope they have like you know a brand new bus and like a whole bunch of new gear <laughs> and all this stuff from all your right. games like you know but they they kind of have to do that and so like being able to navigate all this is very very difficult and it it was it, that's been one of the most eye opening things for me after talking to all these head coaches, just how hard it is to find that balance and put together the right schedule. You know, yeah. it's not easy to convince teams to go up to grand Forks, North Dakota. Right. And so how do you put together a schedule with very few home games? We saw that like almost two years ago. It's, it's just not ideal, but it's, it, it, it can be very tricky. And I think it's a fascinating topic. It's probably could it was It's whole own, uh, own podcast with commissioner Fenton on it. But um I think that's my biggest takeaway is different teams need
2: different things
1: and their coaches are trying to build their schedules to that.
2: Well, they are. I think one of the unique things tonight is uh, Texas Southern beats Arizona State at home. And the only thing that I think about that is every power five school says, screw it, we are not going on the road. We're not going to risk anything. Let's just write a check for a hundred grand and force everybody to come to our place. And so those are the uphill battles that teams in the Summit League face is that they're they're never going to, you know, at best they get a two for one at home, you know, where they have to go on the road twice to the same team in order to get them to come to their place once. But any time a Power 5 team loses on the road to a mid-major team, it's just one less reason for them to ever go on the road as a group. And it makes scheduling that much more difficult. So I don't mean to say this is a simple solution, but it is frustrating, you know, when you sit there and go, good gosh, I mean, it's it's difficult to play a division three or lower or division two or division three team at home and have your fans be upset. And then they just don't understand that we don't have any other options. Yeah. So,
1: well, and, and this is, I mean. Even, even with that said, Todd, your MTE does solve a good chunk of this. You know what I mean? Like, you can set aside three or four games for an MTE. Right. And still go play some pay games, you know. So, I mean, no, no question that's a great idea. No question that's going to get done. I have to believe it.
0: Well, and, and just to your point about Arizona State, Greg, that's an agreement between the Pac-12 and, and the SWAC. Um, to. And now most of the games are played in Pac-12 arenas, but they did agree to some going yeah. to, to SWAC arenas. So the, I I realize, especially with everybody having to do it themselves, There's and even no matter how it gets set up, we make it sound way easier than it ever will be. Right, But it, the conferences are going to have to work together. The MAC, the, whatever MAC podcast is happening, whatever Big Sky podcast is happening, whatever Horizon podcast that is happening, they're all saying the same thing. So why aren't these four conferences getting in a room and saying we we all have the same issue? How do we yeah. get two home games every year with two teams from these four conferences coming in, in into our gym?
1: Maybe it's happening as we speak. I hope so.
0: I, I I do. I just think it's it's and we're if we're relying on the power fives, we might as well well we'll yeah. be to, we'll give us a topic every fourth podcast of the year.
1: I guess. Yeah. Relying on par fives. That's a waste of time. It's the other mid majors. They have to band together. Totally. Yep.
0: All right. Back to the teams. We've mentioned St. Thomas a few times and maybe the most impressive team early on this season. Um, You know, Riley Miller just keeps doing Riley Miller things. Andrew Rohde, Ajani Johnny Lee. Like it seems like there's always a different freshman every uh, every game. Uh, that game with them against Creighton, what a game! I I, I was mad because my sling TV wasn't working, so I couldn't even watch it. But uh, but what well, anything we haven't brought up with Saint Thomas that you guys want to bring up?
2: Well, just you know, I, I'll I'll throw out there. You, you talked about Andrew Rody, Kendall Blue, a couple of six six wings, freshmen, and that's the whole thing with Johnny Tower and his staff. How that we know they have experienced leadership. And these, this experienced leadership, they were good players at the Division III level. They've shown they can be extremely, extremely effective at the Division I level. But how good are they at, at bringing these freshmen along and and allowing them to kind of grow? And I would say that Johnny Tower probably thinks he has a few coaches on the floor, which is going to help him make, the, make the, the process a little bit less painless. So they're going to be a scary team. We all know that. We've talked about this. They're going to be... They're going to be really good in the summer league faster than anybody really anticipates. How good can they be this season? That's going to be a really interesting uh, thing to find out. Yeah.
1: You know, it's, it's interesting. I, you know, I think a lot of people, and me included at the beginning, thought, well, okay, they're, they're, they're small, so they're going to have to shoot a whole bunch of threes, right? And that's not necessarily the case. I mean, they're mm-hmm. making a decent amount of threes. They're shooting a pretty good percentage, shot 42% tonight. Um, but they, they definitely get it done in the paint. And it's not necessarily post touches, but whether it's, you know, ball reversal, ball reversal, paint touch, kick it out, you know, penetrate again, you know, things like that. They just grind possession so well that they eventually get the defense to break down and then they score. And they were doing that against Creighton. It it didn't bother them at all.
2: Um,
1: And they were able to handle that, that, that footer pretty well. And so, you know, you really got to like the balance that they're showing. They're down to a rotation of, Seven, maybe eight guys at most. Uh Johnny Lee did start today. He only played 16 minutes. Um, St. Francis uh, Wolf. You know, I, I don't know. That's <laughs> yeah. That, they're they're oof oof off, awful game there. But you know, credit to St. Thomas. Um, another Division One win for them. So I they're just going right along, not taking any steps back, and um, really trying to balance that uh, team first. You know working ball reversals and, and just methodical offense with a little bit more talent, like we talked about. Uh, Andrew Rohde, big time talent. Day one, no brainer. I mean, kid's going to be a star.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Man, can Riley Miller shoot the basketball? I mean, we knew that last year, but with a little bit more space now and some other uh, the players that can make some space for him, he's he, he might be the best just pure shooter
2: in the league. And you make a break, great point, Todd. The more talent you can put on the floor, the more space he finds because they can't just lock into him. You know, they've got to be able to help on other more, you know, uh, capable scorers. And so I couldn't agree more. You surround them with some talent, the better shooters become, uh, get more open looks. And my guess is Roddy Miller. I've always said this. He's probably selfish enough to go, I'm going to become a great screener because the better screens I can set, the more open I'm going to get and the more clean looks I'm going to get. And that's what he's going to be able to do in Johnny Towers offense.
1: I mean, everybody was talking about the freshmen, but it's the returners. That's getting it done. They're responsible for the majority of the production.
0: Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's move on to Denver. Uh, Win against Idaho. And then they played a non D one Idaho, not a great division one team. and, And Denver struggled a little bit with them, but did come away with the win. Tevin Smith, 23 points. I, I think our predictions of a breakout for him seem at least early on in the season to be uh pretty on point.
2: Yeah, they are. And and I guess I look at it, comparing scores is dumb. So that's why of course I'll do it. But <laughs> I think you know, they beat Idaho at home in a similar manner that that Omaha beat Idaho Idaho at home tonight. And right. uh uh granted now, um uh, Omaha had a huge uh, a 20 point lead at halftime, kind of had to hang on and get it done. Frankie Fiddler with some nice numbers. And what's interesting, I thought, is Frankie Fiddler had really good numbers. Very few three pointers knocked down. So um, that was going to be that was interesting. I we look at, uh, you know, I compare Omaha and uh, Denver, Omaha with a new coach, Denver with Coach Wilburn's system in place for the second year. We all really see how Coach Wilburn gets his kids to play at a really high intensity level. We think that'll carry over. We haven't seen enough from Coach Crutch and his group, but they both beat Idaho by a similar number. So we'll see how all that evens out.
1: Yeah, I keep referencing Ken Palm because it gives us more context in terms of like, you know, how good is Idaho? How good is St. Francis? You know, how good is like, we just don't know. With 358 teams, we need some more context here. I'm sorry, 363. But Idaho and St. Francis are are pretty uh, similarly ranked in Ken Palm. Uh, you know, all above 340, but um, so, so not great teams. Uh, but man, St. Thomas really handled them. And and Denver, I don't want to say struggled, um, but you know they they beat Idaho. And um, you know I, I don't know what to make of it yet. Yeah, Yeah. Devin Smith. And um, but then what? You know, yeah. Coben Porter, very important. We're still yeah. kind of wondering. And then what? Not necessarily a bad way because they have options, but we just haven't seen it yet.
0: Yeah, I I think Toko Tainamo will take another step, but he's not the same type of dynamic scorer that like a Colbin Colbin Porter would be. Um, Tyree Corbett's a really nice piece, Uh, maybe six foot seven, six foot six. He he might lead the league in rebounding at Mm -hmm. at his size, and he's just constantly after the ball. Um, Mm -hmm. Averaged almost nine rebounds a game last year. I forget where he came from, where he transferred from. But, uh, yeah, really good rebounder, but a little bit limited offensively. Mm
2: -hmm. That's the type of guy that Coach Wilburn is going to recruit, a high effort, high energy, productive player. Productive maybe not in a manner that impacts the stat sheet in the way the fans would love to see it by 15 points a game. But if you're out there around that eight, you know, seven, eight, nine rebounds per game, uh, that's a good number. And uh, those are those are the things that are those are the types of guys that make winning plays for teams.
0: Yeah, he had thirteen against Idaho. I think it was it was a pretty nice number. Well, let's move on to the youngest team in the league. And and if they gave an award for um, what do they call it? The all bus team, Uh, the team that looks real good getting off the bus. Kansas City is. Gigantic. Uh, uh, looks like everybody's six nine. That's out on the court most of the time when you see them. Um, at the same time, there's eleven freshmen and they do things that teams with eleven freshmen on them uh, do. I think they had 25 turnovers in the game against the non-division one opponent and something close to that against LSU. And then another thing that freshman team do is they lose to a non-division one opponent and uh, and then. Really gave LSU a really good game and played them hard the the entire time. Uh, there's definitely some talent. Rayquanda Mitchell, a nice transfer, uh, who's not really a point guard, but he's being forced to to, to play that role. And and that might be the biggest th- thing that that Kansas City is going to struggle with is they just don't have a lot of ball handlers.
1: Yeah, I think that shows up, and I mean they're averaging like just over 20 turnovers a game. You know, that's yeah. just that's just going to undermine everything. You know, I mean, you can, you can play good defense, good offense. You turn that over 20 times. I mean, how many of those turn into layups? Like they just can't spot teams that many points. I have no doubt they'll, that will get cleaned up, you know, uh, and, and work its way back down towards, you know, 14, 15. Um, but you're right. Shamari Allen, Rick Mitchell, Mitchell, um, they're, they're doing a pretty good job. They're just trying to figure out which way is up right now. You know, I mean, like I said, they got thrown in the deep end, couple of pay games right off the bat um, they, they did have that division two game, uh, right, right away that they had a lead in and then kind of gave it up towards the end again, turnovers. Um, so, I mean, but you're right. Like you can totally see it with some of these guys. It's just like, yeah, I, you know, you don't know if the light's going to come on next week or next month or next year, but I mean, these guys have the physical capabilities of being pretty good players. So it's just a matter of, the progress that they make between now and, you know, maybe the conference season. So um, they do have some nice pieces
2: in place and uh, we'll see it. But yeah, I mean, I, I
1: can't look any further than those turnover numbers. Yeah.
2: Well, and and if you ever wonder why coaches have gray hair, look at the turnover numbers and Martin Menzies is probably the most, most uh, uh, tenured coach in the league as far as seasons under his belt. He's probably saying, you know what? I don't care about gray hair. I can't get much more. (laughs) <laughs> I, 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 and I can identify with that. And at the same time, um, that's part of, you know, hey, all of a sudden you turn 20 turnovers into 12, you have eight extra possessions to be productive. And then those are things that you need to sell to your guys. Uh, I watched the game today with Dave Richmond, probably one of the more, you know, um, successful coaches in the Summit League, 19 turnovers against uh, University of Pacific. You, you basically have a 1% chance chance to win that game when you're going to turn it over 19 times against a team with, even though they have 11 new players, they have a lot of experience on the roster, and boy, did Pacific make them pay. So that's the one thing you have to sell to your guys is, listen, make the easy pass. You don't have to make the great pass. Make the simple play. It doesn't have to be complicated. Sometimes that's harder to sell than what people think, but the guys that find a way to, 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 to sell that and say, listen, this, this isn't as complicated as we're making it. Just make the easy pass and, and let's let the defense make the mistake and let's capitalize. And so I'm sure that's the challenge for Coach Menzies and his staff right now is to teach those that young group, listen, we don't have to score five points every time down the floor. Let's find a way to give ourselves a 50 percent chance of scoring two or three. And you know what? We'll, we'll have some success
0: yeah Zach, you mentioned Shamari Allen. he's having a great start to the season. Um, they're really relying on those the couple of veteran guards that they have um, and understandably i I'm excited for the matchup with South Dakota that's playing almost all guards in Tassos Comateros uh, versus this Kansas City team that everybody's six nine it'll
1: it'll be quite a matchup. Yeah, Shamari's averaging just under 18 points a game. I mean, you know, he's getting it done, you know, the, the, the big guys from Kansas city, like they're fun to watch play. I mean, they, they do a good job, like rolling to the front of the rim, getting a catch and finishing. So, I mean, they're not far off. It's not like they're out trying, you know, out there trying to get coordinated or anything like that. I mean, you can see it. It's just, you know, this is why you don't get too caught up in records right now. Right. They've, they've had played the hardest schedule so far. And so, you know, we're just trying to make some notes and see what they do with it uh, in the next couple of weeks. Right.
0: So, so, Greg, you called the – or you were part of the call for the North Dakota State game today, right?
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, we might as well roll into them. Uh, <laughs> quite a shooting performance from one player on on the Bison.
2: Uh, yeah, tonight. Sam Astrider, a uh, young man out of Lincoln whose twin brother is down in South Dakota State. Let's not forget that. So the next four years, we have two twins going against each other with two of the most successful Summit League teams in, in the last decade. Um I had to laugh. The young man, uh, great composure, and, uh, and and did a fantastic job. And so it was fun to watch. I mean, um, it, it's funny when you watch games at, at this time of the year where you kind of um, say, hey, what's the composure level of some of these freshmen? And we all know that right now Dave Richmond is, is relying on a number of freshmen. I want to say this. Uh, Javis Miller, I believe assisted on six of hash writers seven threes and, uh, Dejavis javis miller is a young man i think the highest rated recruit that ndsu has had. I, had I believe he was a four star i'm not sure out of lubbock texas but he also had a very nice game exceptional in the second half uh great composure things along those lines i just want to go back and give pacific a ton of credit they had We talked about 11 new players and Zach and I kind of communicated about this uh, the previous night, You know, just their turnover in their roster, but uh, just because you have a turnover doesn't mean that you you lack talent. Their perimeter guys were just so aggressive to the rim. And for a team with not a ton of inside height, uh, their advantage, I think points in the paint, I think probably was plus 20 against NDSU or NDSU strength is their length and, and experience inside. Uh, they attacked the rim all night. And uh, so it was an impressive performance by Pacific. North Dakota has to deal with them two nights from tonight. I'm sure they learned a lot when they watched the game today. And so, um, but this, this is also prototypical Dave Richmond. He knows that he's got he's got talent, but he has inexperience on the perimeter. And I also believe he's going to challenge him. He's going to find a way to grow. The preseason or the non-conference record won't be what NDSU Bison football fans are used to, where they're used to winning, you know, 80% or 90% of every comp- competition. They might have three or four wins in the non-conference, but they'll have a ton of growth. And we've all talked about this ad nauseum. Dave Richmond's priority is: I want our guys playing our best basketball in mid to late February into March down in Sioux Falls. Hey.
1: Yeah. When's the last time NDSU has had to answer questions about, you know, taking care of the ball, consistent effort, you know, who do they have, who do they can count on? It's been a long time. Like it's been, I mean, even before this last group that went through, I mean, that's, that's when they're calling card, you know, their margin of error is so big because they're always just so solid, you know, defensively and with all the fundamentals, because they're very well coached and it's just sort of the way the roster kind of worked out with some defections. And, um, this is where they're at. And so they have all these questions to answer that they haven't had to answer before. And so I thought the specific Pacific game was the, the personification of exactly what it means to have a young team, right? Uh, A kid, a kid gets hot, hits seven of seven threes, right? So on one hand, on one hand, you have that they make 50% of their three pointers, which they don't typically do. And I mean, they make 12 of them, you know, that's an abnormally large amount of, of their offense. Um, But on the other hand, like Greg said, 19 turnovers. And it wasn't like one person turning over the ball. It was pretty much everybody. Every yeah. starter had at least two turnovers. And so it's just kind of something that's going to have to be a big focus for them because it's not going to come naturally to them, uh, especially when you have a point guard who, you know, is new to the program, is new to this level of play. I, I think Luke Yoder is going to be uh, good in terms of being able to get them organized and everything like that. Um, but clearly when you surround them with some young players like, you know, Waddles and Miller and, and White and Hashtrader and stuff, you know, it, it's it's going to be a bigger, bigger process this year than they really have had in a long time. And, um, you know, 57 points in the second half. 57. When is the last time NSU has had 57 points? So it's like, yeah. you you don't want to get too crazy with the criticism because they haven't been winning and they've been turning over the ball because there are a lot of things to really like. And I think the things that have been going wrong are within their control. If you're looking around and you're saying, oh man, these guys just can't play, you know, that's a different story. That's (laughs) only stuff that can get fixed in the off season. That's not what's happening. here. So, you know, coach Richmond is going to have his work cut out for him and it's probably going to be the hardest year um, of his career in terms of the things he has to accomplish to get his team to where he thinks they can get to. Um, But I'm sure he also relishes that, that uh, challenge, you know, that's, that's what you want as a coach is a challenge every now and then. So um they're gonna be interesting to watch but they are far from a finished product they had a 10 guy rotation tonight i mean last year what they play six maybe seven so this is this is all very new and so it'll be fun to see how they deal with it
2: and and i i will just speak from this standpoint these are the types of teams that coaches love to coach and and i saw something from dave richmond tonight because dave will get on guys but i thought in the first half dave said no I've got too many freshmen. I'm not going to take away their spirit. I'm not going to take away their their desire to improve. And, and I really liked watching that play out. And to be honest with you, I thought his approach really was effective in the second half where he said, listen, guys, I'm only asking you to play your tail. Nothing more. Go compete, go battle." And I will say this, as much as we all say Grant Nelson is the leader on the floor for NDSU, I, I One thing I noticed tonight, Bowden skundberg was kind of saddled with some foul trouble. But the one thing that that guy can do is he can be a leader by example from an effort and a toughness standpoint, and he can demand that out of those freshmen. And it always helps as a coach to have leadership on the floor, some experienced leadership that says, Listen, guys, my game isn't pretty. The only reason I'm out here is because I, I play my ass off. I play my tail off. I compete. And if there's one thing I'm asking you guys to take from me is go compete and battle. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to have somebody get up into you and yell at you. Just don't ever short your teammates from an effort and toughness standpoint. And I think that's what Bowdoin Scumbrick can bring to this team. And I think that's what these freshmen can also bring to this team as they grow throughout the course of this non-conference season and into the summer league season.
1: Greg, I think that was a really good point about just how Coach Richman was handling certain uh, uh, some of these situations because nobody would have faulted him for losing his mind and benching kids for the rest of the game, right? Right. There, there were right. there were some there were some very careless, pretty much unforced turnovers that are very typical of this program, and it's not the standard that they play to. But he needs these guys. He needs yeah. to keep investing playing time in them. And okay, you just you cuss them out, bench them, do whatever. Okay, maybe justify, but like you're eventually going to need them at some point. And so you you don't have the luxury of just losing them forever. And so, you know, he's walking that fine line between trying to get on them and get the most out of them, but not losing them. And so um, I I think if you show up a player and you embarrass them in front of everybody and whatnot, you know, even if you um, have some grounds to do so, it's just not, it just doesn't work. And he's focusing on what's productive right now. And uh, that's what I really saw. And you start to see it already pay dividends in the second half, really.
2: I agree. I agree, Zach. I 100% agree. And then that's a credit to Dave Richmond
1: to say, you
2: know what? A little bit different team that I've had. I'll adapt a little bit. I think his young kids will benefit from that. Yep.
0: Well, and I don't want to repeat points you guys have already said, but just to, you know, 0-3 isn't shocking given their schedule. In their first game against a a like opponent, you had 19 points from uh, Grant Nelson. You had 15-8 and rebounds from Andrew Morgan. To Javis Miller, 14 points, 9 assists. It'll take a little bit for the backcourt to gel. I don't know that they want Luke Yoder shooting more than 3, 4, 5 times a game. Like, they've I, got people that yeah. can put the ball in the basket. Everybody just needs to kind of play their role, and this early in the season is going to take a little bit to find that.
2: And Luke Yoder understands that, too, and that's one of the reasons he took him as the only guy out of the portal. So that's a great point, Todd.
0: Well, let's move on to uh, Oral Roberts. The The team picked uh to to win the summit league in the preseason um one thing that stands out no they played they lost we talked about saint mary's loss and then they played a non-d1 opponent um, one thing that does uh stick out 14 blocks for connor Vanover in two games i don't know what the summit league record is maybe we can talk to check in with ryan on that but I'm i'm sure at seven a game he would he would break that
2: <laughs> i would say so he is we haven't seen anything like this since, and you can guys you guys can remind me the 7-1 gentleman down in Western Illinois who had a really uh, great career. Bre-
1: Brandon yeah, Gilbeck. Gilbeck. Yep.
2: Thank yep. you. Thank you. Uh Vanover even I mean only four inches longer and probably about nine <laughs> inches longer in reach you know I mean hey he's gonna be uh he's gonna be a force on that end and people are gonna have to adapt how they attack the rim. but uh no, he's uh, he's he's done a nice job in his first few games for Old Roberts as far as what he's capable of bringing to the team.
0: Yeah, it, I watched that St. Mary's game. I I'll be honest. I try to watch every game, but when teams are playing non-D ones, I just can't bring myself unless it's the only game on the schedule. Um, but I watched that that uh, St. Mary's game, and he was a menace. It it was tough to score down there.
2: Yeah.
1: It's just incredible. There's no way to practice against it. You know what I mean? Like there's something to that, even like an extra two or three inches is a big deal like yeah. as a as a post player because all you need, like we're talking, okay, so he's averaging seven blocks a game. I bet he's altering just as many. So yeah. I mean that that just that all of a sudden gives your guards more. Um, credence to just be more aggressive on the perimeter knowing that there's going to be somebody back there to clean up all their mistakes and so now all of a sudden we're going to have all these teams trying to bring Connor Van over out of the paint and it's going to be fun watching this game of cat and mouse here you know I was thinking about this today you know I mean I was just like yeah man we, we can call it right now Grant Nelson defensive player of the year done and then it's like well I don't know a guy's averaging seven blocks a game yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so I mean, yeah. we're going to have to watch this one a little bit you know the defensive player of the year race but probably probably a two horse race in that, in that uh, realm but you know the, the you you mentioned the St. Mary's game and you know I don't know I mean St. Mary's is good but they're not quite that good and they and, and Oral Roberts is down eighteen and a half. Yeah, um, it's,
0: oh, it's the same same thing.
1: You know it's it's the same team that we watched and it's it's yeah. kind of a kind of a frustrating thing. Um, although it, it, it's it's like they don't trust each other to like if they give the ball up it like they know it's not going to come back. You know, and but so if everybody plays like that, then they get this difficult situation. It's and but it's almost like they have a, a little bit too m- much balance. Like I know that sounds crazy to say, but like, you know, Max Aitman should be taking more shots. I really don't care at this point, and he's pretty much the only player that I would say that about. But they're not gonna they're not gonna accomplish their goals if he's taking 12 to 14 shots tonight. Right. I just don't think. So. I just don't think so. Um, he needs to be at least at 20 points per game, bare minimum, and then. You know, with that, we'll probably come seven or eight assists. But, you know, I know he probably wants to get all his teammates going. And, you know, I'm not trying to tell him, like, how to play, certainly. But, like, I just don't know if it's their best version of themselves with him taking 12 shots.
0: And and that game showed when the offense is off, the defense is off. Yes. And then in the second half, they started scoring. And that team can defend. They just don't sometimes. Yeah. It's just, it's maddening.
2: Todd, to your point, though. Any team that depends on their on, on their offensive success to be a good defensive team is a 500 team, and, and I just mean that. It, it the, the the best teams, and we've seen seen this out of South Dakota State and North Dakota State over the years. If they bring consistent defensive effort every night, they know they have a chance to win, even if they're they struggle offensively. And I know you guys are good basketball people. You're smart basketball people. You guys know that, but truly buy into that is one thing and and i i just think that that or or you has to find a way to do that and and say listen if we're going to rely on just outscoring people we're not going to be nearly as good as we're capable of and so that's where they have to be good connor vandenberg can be a a rim protector i i want to go back to a point you made zach that's going to be something the teams do they will bring him out on the perimeter and force him to defend pick and roll so they can get him away from the basket as a rim protector. That's going to be a strategy for a lot of teams in the, uh, in the summit league when it comes to trying to neutralize his presence on the defensive end. But uh, as far as defensive effort goes and things along those lines, that that's, that's not even a, a negotiable when it comes to winning the summit league, you better be really good. And let's go back to when, you know, or you made their sweet 16 run. their defensive effort down the stretch of the summit league. Was, was really, really good, and that's what helped them get to that spot.
1: Yep. Yeah, I mean, an inconsistent defensive effort and an inconsistent effort, like, overall, that's something that you expect out of, like, immature and inexperienced teams because, you know, they're a little bit more like a leaf blown in the wind. They haven't exactly felt what it's like to lose a game because you haven't given a great effort. You know, they didn't have to in high school, and so it, it, it hasn't been imparted upon them. And then when you go through a game like, like, let's say NDSU today, right? I highly doubt they, they, they do a replay of that first half in the next couple of games. Right Now, now, they have a great example of what it's like to play hard and play with attention to detail on the defensive end and what it's not. And just the stark contrast between the two and how big of a deal it is and how much it's within your own control. Like it is 100% within your control. There's you can have off shooting nights, but if it's something that's like that's in within your control, I mean, Oral Roberts is full of seniors and players that have played a lot of basketball. And I really hope that just doesn't become another trend. We've said that in the past and it has become a trend. So, I mean, we'll see. It's, they control their own destiny from here on out. They only, you know, there's some of these teams that are just not going to quite have their house in order to make a run at it. They're one of the few that does, and they have the best player in the conference. And so, again, we're grading on a curve here, but there's going to be high expectations for how they execute in the things that they can't control.
2: Yeah. I agree. Effort and toughness are non-negotiable for the best teams.
1: So I'm going to
0: lump two teams together, and you guys go go however you would like with those two teams, and that's Omaha and North Dakota. The reason I lumped them together is, one, we're, we're getting low on time, and two, um, both to me – it's a very small sample size, but we, we know what it looked like at the end of last year in the small sample size this year, there's more talent. There's more division one talent. They're just better overall teams talent wise in a couple games into the season. What are your takeaways on those two teams?
1: I think well, Omaha uh, plays hard. I, I I think Omaha plays hard. I think, you know, they, they've had a pretty challenging roster uh, or I mean, a schedule so far, and you know we're starting to see that start to pay off in today's win uh, over Idaho. They they handle them pretty well. Uh, Frankie Fiddler, 28 points and 11 rebounds. He I didn't want to say anything because he's had a quiet start to the year, but that's the Frankie Fiddler that we all know and love. 28 points, 11 rebounds. That's a big deal. I mean, you can tell they have a couple guys on their team that are comfortable at this level, and then some that aren't. And so they're really trying to be led by those big three um that are you know sutton fiddler and marshall those are the three guys and they need some guys step up around them but that's more than they could say last year so you're right in 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 many ways you you have to see a continuum from last year i think they play they hard you know they get a little loose um and uh but i they they seem to be taking steps you know kind of the same thing for UND. it's um I think UND's rotation more than anybody's has really kind of been all over the place. I mean, you had Caleb Nero starting the first game and then essentially getting a DNP hyphen CD in the second game. Um, You know, Jalen Trent came off the bench largely still due to, you know, missing part of a practice and um, you know, but, but then starting in the, in that second game at Creighton. And so they're trying to figure out what they have here. And I think the biggest enigma that i can't really figure out and i've been trying to poke around and ask some questions about and it's going to be sort of all my pregame discussion um up on tuesday when they play pacific is uh what's going on with mitchell suker like yeah he, uh, you know he's averaging three points per game and one half of a rebound and he was in a little bit of foul trouble at incarnate word but not I mean, not really. I think he ended up with like, like three fouls or something like that, but he cannot average three points per game and one half of a rebound. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, th- That can't be. He's their one known quality. He has to be their, he has to be their leader. So, hey, you got the lid off the rim uh, when it came to threes. Knocked down four at Creighton. That's a big deal. You know, I think Jalen Trent, uh, You know, they're just realizing they have to have that type of athlete at the point guard spot. He's just, he's built differently than some of the other guys, so he's going to have to play. Um, But then the problem is, is having him and Brooks together in the backcourt, you can't really have two guys together that um, aren't great shooters, right? Especially in that offense. Um, So it's going to be fun to see how they start to put together some of these lineups. You know, Matt Norman um, had a big game against Incarnate Word, but he, when he's on the court, his. Role is extremely, extremely narrow. He needs to catch or shoot, catch and shoot, or reverse the ball. That's it. If he does that, he does okay. But if he gets beyond that, that he starts turning the ball over and things like that. I also think Trace Eagle Eagle's staff is going to carve out a role. He's a smart player. He's a patient player. He's a good passer. He's a good shooter. I think he's going to play more and more because they're going to need somebody out there that can fill it up a little bit, that can knock down shots. Like They need that if, they're, if Trent's going to be the point guard. Because that's not his specialty. So uh, they still have a ways to go in terms of uh, nailing down their rotation. and um, But they definitely have some better options this year, that's for sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I think Zach um, did a good job of jumping in the weeds on UNDs. Because, I mean, he knows them as well as anybody in the league. My whole thought on this is how does UND respond to today's oh film God. of the NDSU game? How well prepared are they going to be to say, here's what we need to do to beat a pacific team that can make you look silly um if, if you're not locked into a defensive game plan because their perimeter ability um uh, to score and and people w- might be shocked at that at the at the difference in points in the paint they scored a ton of points at the rim and a ton of it was perimeter guys getting there and finishing how does und handle that how do they adapt to that how do they embrace the scouting report um, I think you bring some great things up about UND. I do think they are certainly not last year's UND team, but they still got some roles to define. Going back to to Crutch and his group at Omaha, still just a ton of unknowns. just because of the variety of the schedule. Uh, you go from playing in Kansas to playing in Idaho, a um, little bit different uh, in in chemPOM ratings, but they got a quality <laughs> win tonight. And I think it's going to be a, a slow but sure process for Coach Crutch, his group, And and uh, what Omaha is capable of doing because they're Omaha is capable of winning against anybody on their home floor without question. And uh, what are they able to do in the non-conference schedule to kind of gain some confidence where they can say, you know what, we know we can go out and win two or three road games as well. So that's kind of my thought on those two teams.
0: Yeah, and I don't want to do, reiterate something I I already said, but I I just I was encouraged by the fact that we saw what those teams looked like at the end of last year and just the athleticism and 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 overall talent looks better this yeah. year. So it's nice nice to see that with two teams that really struggled last year. And you know, I said earlier Riley Miller was the best pure shooter in the league. I, you know, Soutney apparently knew I was going to say that cuz he came out and hit four threes today,
1: so. Yeah, you know, you know, it's been funny. Like, we've been told that he's been knocking on a bunch of shots at practice, and it's no no issue and all that stuff. And all last year, I think he made, like, like less than five for sure. Right, right. And we're, we're kind of we're like, all right, are they just kind of messing with us? Like, what's the deal here? But, I mean, the ones he knocked, I mean, his stroke looks good. It, and he wow. knocked it down. He started to shoot it with confidence at Crate, and that's the hardest thing to do when they're not going in just to keep shooting them. But um, very important that he did. You know, he's progressed. He's progressed like you'd want to see a college basketball player progress, and it largely starts with confidence. But you know, where would they be without him if Mitchell Sucker's averaging three points and and, and a half of rebounds? So we'll see. Though again, not to get too carried away about any of this stuff, Mitchell could easily come out and have twenty and ten uh, in this next game, and then they're right back on track. So, uh, but it's it's definitely it raised an eyebrow.
0: So the only team we haven't talked about is Western Illinois. Um, one piece of news: uh, Trent Mastner took a really nasty uh, shot on a screen that was called an illegal screen, uh, and did not return in the in their last game um, against DePaul. And uh, so I, you know, no news on how long he's out or anything like that. Um, but he that was in the first half and he did not return in that game, um, and it took them a while to kind of get back into offensive rhythm for, for understandable reasons given who was out. Um, I mean, and they started to find a few things, um, but lost that game, won their opener against at Illinois state, which was one of the nicer wins I think out of the conference. Uh, Any takeaways from Western Illinois in this early season?
1: Well, I mean, Trent master had a triple double in his first game, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, So I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a few teams are responsible for more on their team than Trent master. So he cannot miss any time if uh, Western Illinois has, you know, high aspirations. And so obviously getting him back healthy is, is uh, priority number one. You know, I doubt we'll have much info or intel on that until we, you know, see him back on the court. But, right. um, you know, he, like we talked about, we know that 35-point performance is in there. But he's making a concerted effort to get all his teammates involved. And I think that's a great way to start, particularly early in the year. He has confidence. He needs to develop the confidence in all his teammates because then he knows that, their team's going to be better, and, and defenses are going to have to play more straight up, and that'll open up opportunities for him to the closer. So I, I like the way that he's approaching things. Uh, I hope you say it's healthy.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, Masner is key for them. And, and uh, you know, uh, the, I always well, a 10, 12 point loss to DePaul. I'm still not sure where DePaul's at. Uh, my guess is they're still a bottom two or three team in the Big East. And I, I, I wish they would be better, but that's the way it is. Uh, but at the same time, we'll see. I, I think Mazner is the glue for that group, and uh, and because he has to be put in a position where he, he can decide, do I need to score 30 tonight, or am I fine scoring 12 to 15, distributing, facilitating, making my teammates better? That's going to be a big challenge for him, because he's as we've seen, there's a ton of tur- uh, roster turnover. In Western Illinois, what can they be? We'll see what happens. Uh, still, so many unknowns for. Uh,
1: for the Leathernecks. DePaul's Ken Palm, uh, 88. 88, So they're
2: apparently a pretty good team. That's good to see. Yeah, Yeah,
0: and they they played them well after they kind of got out of that rut. Um, Alec Rossner, who's a great outside shooter, the Winona State transfer, was taking the ball inside, and and a pretty strong player for his size uh, was scoring inside on on DePaul's uh, backcourt players. And so they did find a little bit of rhythm uh Josiah West a really nice active undersized forward. I I still they're a fashionable team to have been picked pretty low in the league and while I don't know that they're going to finish more than in the middle I I've said this a few times on the podcast something was weird about the end of last year with the team and I I just think they needed some overhaul to maybe get some attitude change so and it's always good start, when you start with Trent Masters as long as he's not out for a while
1: yeah, and Col- Colton Sandage was on that uh, Illinois State team. So yeah. he, he transferred from Western Illinois to Illinois State, so,
2: yeah.
0: Yep. All right, well, that's every team. Is there any other nuggets that you guys wanted to bring up for the first week of Summit League basketball that we didn't talk talk about? We probably talked
2: about it already. but I wish I had something insightful, Todd, but, <laughs> but you know me better than that. I seldom do. So uh, enjoyed visiting with you guys tonight.
1: Yeah, every time I think I may have something insightful to say, it's like proven wrong the next second. So it's like, well, scratch that off, scratch that off, you know. So, again, I don't, I'm just really not trying to get too carried away here. I'm just trying to see, you know, what the culture is, what the identity, what the rotation is, you know, just trying to get a feel for these teams um, and then making up your mind after that. Yeah, and that's really all the beginning of the season is.
0: It's just kind of figuring mm-hmm. out. And there there just isn't much to be gained, uh, you know, when you're playing Kansas. Like it's just, yeah, as far as true insight, it's just yeah. different. Um, but that's why we tend to glom onto some of these games that are a little more like opponents because yeah. it gives us a little more.
1: Yeah, I agree. There's no point in breaking down that game, you know, it's a fun experience, really cool thing, helps in recruiting, helps pay the bills. But that's about it, yeah. All
0: right, well, that's what we've got for this week. We're working on an interview for next week, so stay tuned. We'll see what we can get set up for next week. Um, but Yeah, we figured this week we would just spend some time talking basketball because it's the first basketball we've seen. So until next week, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you later.